Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to ever happen to them that would rarely show up on a resume, bio, or come up in conversation. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm a speaker, author, and coach. And each week, I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. Now, this week's guest is someone I've had the opportunity to work closely with over the past three years, and I'm so honored to have him on as a guest on the podcast. Jim Nussel is the president and CEO of the Credit Union National Association, also known as CUNA. Now, CUNA is the largest and most influential national financial services trade association advocating for America's credit unions. Now, get this. There are nearly 5,700 credit unions nationwide with over 115 million members and more than 1.2 trillion, not billion, trillion dollars in assets. Now, quick side note, my family has always been proud credit union members, and to this day, I am still a credit union member. Now, prior to his work with the Credit Union National Association, Jim served in the U.S. House of Representatives from 1991 to 2007 as a representative from the great state of Iowa. In 2007, President George W. Bush tapped him to join his cabinet as the 36th director of the Office of Management and Budget, the largest office within the executive office of the president. Now that right there is what I call an impressive bio. Jim Nussel, welcome to The Best Thing. Great to be with you, Antonio. Just a quick background. I've had the opportunity to work directly with the Credit Union uh, National Association for the past few years. I've done that as a speaker at some of their events. I've worked with some of their leaders, young professionals nationwide, and even host a major event in D.C. that reaches over 5,000 people. So I firsthand have seen the, the credit union difference and especially what credit unions are doing right now in the midst of uh, this pandemic. And so if you're not a credit union member, I want you to consider that going there in your local community to, to learn more. Um, Jim, before we dig into the powerful question we ask in this podcast, I'm curious, when you hear that bio, you hear about being a congressman, you hear about working in the, in, in the White House, is that something that for you is just standard par for the course, or does it blow you away when you hear your resume today? Yeah, it's a that's a great question. It does blow me away because I feel like I've had so many cool opportunities, challenges too, but but just opportunities that not everybody always necessarily gets. And I've I've gotten them in one lifetime. And some of these are things that maybe people might spread out over a number of lifetimes. So I it it blows me away, but it also uh, makes me ask the question. Those are all things I used to do. What am I going to do next? Mm. <laughs> so that's the fun part about the question is, what are you going to do next? Those are, those are cool has-been kind of titles. What are you going to do next? Well, you do an amazing work today. And that's really one of the genesis of, the, of this podcast, because you talk to so many men and women, and they talk about the best thing to happen to them. And typically, it's past tense. It's college and different things. And this is all about how can we ensure the best is ahead of us. Now, before we hit record, you're talking about how, how naturally you're an introvert. And if anyone has ever saw you on stage, which I have many times, they would be very surprised to, to know that because you're just have an amazing presence and you know how to connect people, connect to people and get them to lean forward. 
and even backstage, when I saw you interact with people like former President George W. Bush, uh, former Secretary of State John Kerry, Malcolm Gladwell, you name it, you connect with them as well. So I'm just curious, what has been your approach and to make it easy to to connect with others? I mean, you're in Congress for nearly 20 years and you don't win that many elections on accident. So how do you approach truly connecting with people? Well, first of all, as you know, being an introvert doesn't mean you're scared of the stage or you don't like people or anything like that. It just, to me, it means where do you get your energy? And I get my energy uh, from within, from being circumspect, from my family, my faith, from reading, from learning, from from getting ideas from other people, and, and then being able to process it and ponder it internally. A lot of people like my beautiful wife, Karen, she processes externally. She's an extreme extrovert. And so it's just, where do you get your energy from? And I've always felt like I get my energy from, from within for some reason. And so that's how I try and do it. And then I think a, a love of what you do and, and knowing that you don't know everything possible and that you, if you can draw from the experiences of other people who have been there, done that, who've done it better than you have, uh, as you're learning in your prod- podcast, I mean, you just gain so much experience from the from the path that other people have taken. And that's that's a cool reason to connect with people. So that's the reason I thirst for that. My hunch is listening to you talk and knowing a little bit about you and your background is that you also can truly connect to people because I watch you. And it seems like you're always willing to be of service. And that's how you're able to connect with people. So I think about your work, A, with credit unions right now and how they truly are of service to members of their community. But also, as I, as I look at your bio and look at your background, beyond winning elections, I see you've been a first responder. You've been a firefighter. Those things you volunteered for you that you didn't have to, that you chose to be of service. So my hunch is being of service means a lot to you. It is. And it's, it's, it is very important to me. And it's a way not only to connect, but it's also a way to get some valuable experience that there's almost no way to get anywhere else. If you, when you put yourself in a position to serve someone else, someone else's needs, someone else's desires, wants, uh, the greater good, your community, you put yourself in a, in a position that is vulnerable, that puts you in a position to learn and to recognize that you're either certainly part of a bigger whole, uh, but that, um, that that whole is greater than the sum of its parts, that your, your journey in this life is only important if it's connected to and with the rest of your community. So that's the reason I think service is so important. Yeah, I think that big shift from I to we is huge. Exactly. And, you know, of course, doing the leadership and development work I've done over the past 10 years, whether it's on a stage or coaching people, Something I have to remind people and remind myself is that sometimes personally, my biggest breakthroughs or our biggest breakthroughs actually come when we're helping others, which I think we, we tend to forget. Um, so let's, let's dive into this question, uh, this question of the best thing. So, so Jim, what would you say is one of those quote unquote best things that have happened to you that isn't necessarily a traditional marker of success that may not show up on your bio or resume, but has greatly influenced who you are, uh, the man you are today? Well, I, I don't believe that it's a surprise that anybody who comes on your show would say their family, uh, having kids, uh, would be probably one of the most important junctures in their, in their lives. Um, the, the, more, the moment one of, your, one of your kids or a child is born, it really does change you. 
uh, in such a profound way. And you look at it as such a happy, exciting occasion. You used to pass out cigars or whatever it might be. I mean, it's a, it's especially, especially in my uh, family, it was a really big deal. I was, I was the first one uh, of my family to have a child. And so the first grandchild, all of those things. And so there's so much expectation and joy that comes around that. However, uh, there can be surprises along the way, as all parents know, and in my instance, and it's not that different than a lot of people's journey, but, uh, but all of that perfection and expectation that you thought you were going to have uh, melted down almost immediately when I discovered that my firstborn uh, child, Sarah, uh, had Down syndrome. And learning to reshape your expectations to, first of all, even learn what that is. What does that mean? What kind of journey is that going to be like? What is it going to be like for me? Of course, I looked at it first. How is this going to affect me? I didn't even look at anyone else, whether it is your, your, your wife or your, anyone else in your family. You say, oh, my gosh, what, what's happened to me? And, um, and so you look at it very selfishly. Uh, but that would be, for me, the best thing as I look back on my life, what was probably the most challenging day in my life, finding out that all of my expectations were blown up uh, for my firstborn child, ends up being now probably, if without question, the most important and uh, the best thing that's happened to me. Yeah, well, first, I appreciate for sharing you sharing that. And I can only imagine all the learnings that you have from that. And just hearing you say there can be surprises along the way. I think sometimes we can forget about those bumpy roads that end up being a gift to us. What have been some of your, your key learnings? So just for that man or woman that's listening to this that, that doesn't know what it's like to, to raise a child with Down syndrome, could you just paint a, a picture for us how that may be a little bit different than raising someone uh, from a from a young age that wasn't born uh, with Down syndrome. Well, luckily, uh, so many people these days, even though you may start off on day one believing your child is perfect, we all learn very quickly that there is no such thing as perfect. That that we are all differently abled, and uh, that's probably the the end of the story. Is that I've discovered my different abilities, my disabilities, if you will, the things that I'm good at, as well as the things that I have blind spots and that I don't always listen as carefully as I should. And I'm not as, uh, I'm not as qualified in some areas or maybe as capable in others. And I think that's what you learn most importantly is that the labels are what you think about first. But what we discover is that we're all on that journey. There's not one of us that has escaped a child with challenges of one sort or another or to discover in ourselves our different challenges, abilities, disabilities, and uh, as well as um, areas that we're just really good at. And the same is true for my daughter, Sarah. Yeah, she's got disabilities that are very typical that go along with Down syndrome, the cognitive challenges. Uh, She had a heart defect and had open heart surgery when she was uh, a little over one month old, almost took her life and certainly added probably 10 years to my life. But we also have learned the things that she is so good at. She's an amazing conversationalist. She is, uh, has a supercharged memory. She can recall conversations that happened 20 years ago. She's 31 now, but 20, 30 years ago, she can remember conversations and situations where we sit back and go, how did she remember that? I can't even remember that. So the things that we think are 
drawbacks or holding someone back may actually provide opportunities to be more in tune with things that we're not as capable uh, of doing. So it, it's a wide variety of things, Antonio, that I, I guess I, I just offer because I realize too that just because you've got a child with a label doesn't mean that your journey is all that different than a lot of other parents, just about every parent out there. What a great reminder regarding the, the whole labels and maybe as, uh, many assumptions that we can make from a uh, selfish or societal perspective. Jim, what would you say are some of those lessons over the years that Sarah has taught you? Well, one I would definitely say is that she has an amazing power of observation and she has taught me to slow down, just slow down, slow down and listen. She took conversations very slowly. She learned very slowly. She um, experiences things maybe a little bit more slowly or cautiously than others. And so that causes me and others around her to also slow down. Well, when you slow down, it's kind of like, you know, watching, um, you know, watching the, the terrain in front of you or the uh, sightseeing, a beautiful mountain range from an airplane versus a train versus a car versus a walk versus crawling through the forest. You're going to see things differently at those different speeds and life around us happens in some very slow, methodical ways that I think when you slow down, you appreciate uh, even better. Uh, so that's, that's the first one uh, that I would say. And then the second one is that sheer joy in every, she, I mean, she has bad days, everybody does, but she approaches every situation in a happy, joyous, what can I learn? What can I experience? What can I get out of this sort of way? And when you slow down and have uh, an attitude of joy, boy, I tell you, it changes your entire perspective on life. No question about it. If only we all could have that perspective of joy, what a game changer it would be in good times and challenging times. As I listen to you talk and I think about your service, uh, you know, when you serve as a congressman, my hunch is, you know, that experience with your daughter created a, an empathy in you maybe, maybe you didn't have before. And, you know, as a congressman, again, talking past tense about your previous life, but so many men and women would come into your office and you'd have to listen to them and their concerns. Same thing today with your work you're doing with the Credit Union National Association. Would you say your, your empathy uh, went up another level as well and you could hear people in a way you couldn't hear them prior? And I'm still learning that. I'm Meaning I, I don't want to assume that I am, uh, that I'm to teach a master class on empathy. I certainly can't, but I guarantee you I'm more apathetic than I was uh, the day she was born and, and, and even since yesterday. Uh, you know, you learn something new about that throughout your journey. And I would, I would say the biggest thing is that I think from, from a congressional standpoint, when you're running a country, you often look at people, again, in categories and buckets and you say, well, maybe there are one size fits all solutions to things, you know, and we have so many examples of that. Social Security, Medicare, you know, all sorts of things which, which are meant to say we need to treat people the same. We need to treat people equally. And I love that. That's great about America. But we're not the same. We're not all equal in the way we are on our journey. And so being able to recognize that certainly we're about equality, no question about that. I don't take anything away from that. But we're both, we're all different. And as a result of being different and one size not fitting all, 
we've got to, again, slow down to recognize that the journey we're all on is different, regardless of our station, regardless of our where we come from in the country, regardless of our race or our gender, whatever it might be, we're on a different journey and one size never, never, never fits all. You know, as you, as you share this about your story, I think back to, and I'm, I'm doing the math on uh, when Sarah was born from a numbers perspective. And of course, when people experience something like this, you know, you, if you have a child with, uh, say, born down syndrome or something different happens at home, maybe you have a parent you have to take care of. Like I have a father who has dementia, which has changed a lot in my mm-hmm. life, though we live in different states. Sometimes I feel like, Jim, our aspirations can shrink. And we can choose to say, you know, I can't pursue X. I can no longer pursue Y because I have to do this now. This is now going to be my story. But when I do the math and look at the numbers at you, it doesn't look like your aspirations shrunk whatsoever. You decided, hey, yes, I have the situation at home and I'm going to do what I can. And there still is important work for me to do as an individual. So how did you ensure that you didn't shrink in terms of pursuing where you knew you were going to be of service, as we mentioned earlier? Well, and this, I'll tell you, is a struggle that I still question myself about today. Uh, Shoulda, coulda, woulda. You know, I'm not the best father uh, I could have possibly been if I had been there every day. Certainly the travel uh, schedule, the grueling, uh, the grueling travel and, and demands on your time uh, probably made me deficient in some regards of being there and being a father. And I question that all the time for both of my kids. My, you know, we talked about Sarah, I've got a son, Mark, who is again, what somebody might qualify as normal, but I can tell you, he's not normal either. I mean, we're all a little bit abnormal or differently normal for certain, for certain, but could I have been a better father if I had not aspired? I, I think it's possible, but I also think I would have been a different father. And I, I believe that, uh, the experiences that, and I would have been a different public servant too. Um, had I not had Sarah. So I think the journey, you can't, you can't separate yourself from the journey. And luckily I was encouraged at exactly the right moment in time after she was born to continue to pursue a career in public service and knowing uh, and, and getting the advice from people who had gone there before to say, this will make you better. It will not be a hindrance to your public service and it will not be a hindrance as a father. So I'm not perfect, I guarantee you at all, never hold myself out like that, but I've tried to make both experiences complement one another. Yeah, that's good to hear. I think sometimes we think it has to be either or, and you always can question whether or not if you didn't pursue those things, if you would have been A, a disservice to yourself or even a disservice to your family because you're not sure. willing to uh, to shine your light. And I think playing small many times, as you know, doesn't necessarily serve, serve anyone. Um, how do you approach, and this is interesting because I think about your experience even beyond uh, your daughter, when you've been in public office and you had a lot of success in public office. And I think about the work you do today where the organization does lobbying and making sure communities and individuals are taken care of financially and not overlooked. How does Jim Nussel process loss? Whether you lose an election, whether you are working hard on behalf of credit union members nationally on something that you know is right, but there are other powers (laughs) lobbying on the other side as well. When when things don't go the way that you have planned, how do you process that, get back up and keep moving? Wow, that's a great question. And I, you know, to some extent, we're living it right now, Antonio, and I, you didn't tell me what the questions were going to be ahead of time. So this one's a, 
This one's a doozy. And I, it's interesting. I just met with my leadership team today because we're all processing a certain amount of loss right now. There are a lot of people who've lost their job. Uh, there are some people who have lost a family member to COVID-19. Um, there are people who have lost just their expectations. Maybe they've lost their way because they expected how 2020 was going to be. Uh, maybe someone was ready to retire and now they've got to work a few more years. So there's so much loss going on right now. Um, and how do you process any of that? And so the fireman in me certainly wants to fight the fire and just be, you know, make sure you put it out. But there's an architect and a builder in me too that says, yeah, but you gotta, you've got, you can't let what's happening right now in front of you interrupt the momentum the positive momentum and opportunity for the future because every loss presents a new opportunity of some sort. And um, so the way I process it is to communicate with people. Again, what we talked about earlier, look for people who have processed loss themselves. How did they do it? Uh, How can we do it together? I talk a lot about in credit unions that that it's our cooperative superpowers. We're cooperative financial institutions. So the best way for any of us to operate is to do it together. Well, we're not alone in this journey. We've got friends, family, we've got coworkers, we've got others that are on this journey with us. Lean on them. Let's lean on each other at this time of national, family, individual crisis and recognize that we're, we all have something to learn and we have all something to build for the journey ahead of us. And I think that's the best way to process the loss. So yeah, fight the fire in front of you. Get that, get that out. But then go talk to the architect in the back of your mind and say, hey, let's start building. Let's design the future because that's what's great about the human race is that we're always moving forward. Let's start building. Let's start designing the future. Uh, absolutely. I, I can agree with that. And that reminder of that willingness, I think that some of us don't always do that willingness to ask for help, mm, and to be willing right. to do that. And yeah. I, I have to rem- remind myself sometimes that people want to help you. Many organizations in your community want to help you and they can't help you if they don't, if they don't know you need help. Right. So getting out of our own way to do that. As we get ready to wind down, Jim, I, I've loved our conversation so far. And a question I like to ask guests is, as you mentioned, I read your bio, right? And your bio is past tense. Those are things that Jim has done in the past and things he's doing right now. Uh, But the little bit that I know about you from the conversations we've had backstage, my hunch is that you do believe the best is ahead of you Mm. as opposed to behind you individually, but with the work you do with the Credit Union National Association and beyond. How do you approach life to ensure the best is ahead? Well, my, um, my leadership style, I, I lean on four words that I put in a, in a process and, and it gets me to your answer. I listen, learn, help, and lead. Start with listening. Be a really good listener. It's the thing I said to Sarah and Mark when I dropped them off at school every time was be a good listener. It, it's got to start with that. Second is learn. Learn from others. Uh, third is help. Be a servant. And then lead, then, then point a direction based on those first three foundations go forward. And based on my listening, learning, and what I think we need to do to help right now, we're going to have enough to do. I, I was getting, I'm going to be honest with you, I was getting a little bit complacent in the role I had, um, meaning I knew my job really well. I'd been doing it for five years here for credit unions. 
I knew what tomorrow pretty much was going to bring. And I knew what the next cycle was going to take and what the next meeting I was. And I was getting pretty, pretty complacent. I, I will admit now that I look forward because everything's been disrupted. And I'll tell you the thing that we're looking at is before the crisis, seven out of 10 people were living paycheck to paycheck. 70% of Americans who had jobs were living from that one paycheck they were getting to the next one. Well, imagine what that's like today because now 30, uh, 32 million people, 22 million, excuse me, just, just filed for unemployment. So there's a lot of those folks that weren't getting, aren't, aren't, aren't going to be getting a paycheck anymore. So we've got to help. We've got to be there to help one another, to lean on each other. And the only way to do that is to teach and to, and to help them understand that there is a path forward because there's going to be some folks who are going to feel hopeless or going to feel depressed or going to feel frustrated or going to feel there's no path. And right now, those of us that are ahead on the trail have got to blaze the trail for the people who are coming behind us. And I think credit unions can do that. But I also think you and I, uh, can do that for our families, for our fellow man, so to speak, and and for the people that uh, that that need us to kind of let that ladder down and and bring somebody up. So I, that's what I think the job is ahead of us. That's what we want to do. And um, I think the journey I've been on with Sarah, knowing that every day can bring a new challenge should never have gotten me to any kind of complacent position. But uh, I think based on COVID-19, nobody's going to live very complacent going forward. Yeah. Well, beautiful. Jim, I can't thank you enough for uh, joining me on the podcast, having this conversation. I know people are really going to take away a lot from it. Um, For folks that want to learn not just more about you, uh, but also the Credit Union National Association, where can they find more about you online? And where would you like to send them to learn more about the Credit Union National Association? Yeah, so it's it's called CUNA, Credit Union National Association. So the acronym is C-U-N-A dot O-R-G. That's the Credit Union National Association or America's Credit Unions would be another one or open your eyes to a credit union. All of those things are ways that you can learn more, not only about credit unions, but you can probably find some shameless publicity in there about Jim Nussel too, I would bet. <laughs> yeah, and Jim, I'll make sure in the show notes you'll see Jim's uh, handle so you can find, follow Jim on Twitter. He's fun to follow, him and his wife. Uh, Jim is a, a Cubs fan, which is sometimes can be challenging. Uh, <laughs> but I root for the Cubs as well because I grew up in Michigan uh, watching WGN. Jim, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time today. And for people listening, Antonio, when he's on the stage, he is on fire. I love when you're out there talking to our credit union folks. And it was great to have the chance to talk to you here today as well. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. 